Hey everyone, Jeremy L. Jones here, author of Ruins of Empire. Just a really quick reminder that the second season of Ruins of Empire is just about to get rolling, and to help support it and the Ruins of Empire series in general, I've got a pre-release campaign rolling on Kickstarter.com. Just go there, search for Ruins of Empire before October 23rd, and reserve your paperback or hardback copy of Ruins of Empire 2, Templum Venerous. Or you can just throw in a dollar and help keep this free podcast novel out there for people to find. And as always, thank you so much for listening. You are listening to Ruins of Empire, Saturnius Mons, book one of the Ruins of Empire Project, a serial podcast novel by Jeremy L. Jones, read by the author and Tyler Murphy. The story so far. While trying to find an ancient civilization on Titan, half of Isra's party had become incapacitated. Cronus from some unknown respiratory disease, and Vago from Triple T withdrawal. She and Althea decided it was time to seek help from the corporation expedition they had arrived with. But, while making their way back through the forests, the team stumbled on the gates of the city they had been looking for. While Isra gathered evidence of the civilization's existence, the gates opened and strange figures exited the city. Vago, suffering from an out-of-body experience, watched himself go out to meet and then become captured by the people of the city. Isra, Althea, and Kronos were captured as well, and the entire team was led into the city gates as Vago faded away completely. Chapter 10 In a sense, scholars should be generous when looking at the failures of the corporation. They were no more suited to rule the earth than the Catholic Church was to rule the remains of the Roman Empire. Looking at the two, the similarities are striking. The corporation, like the church, believed in a purpose that superseded the well-being of the people under its charge. Their true loyalty was to the institution itself, which would, in turn, lead the world to true enlightenment. Thus the institution, not the people, was to be nurtured and defended above all else. The difference, of course, was that the Catholic Church believed in the spiritual, whereas the corporation believed in economics. But neither were worth the cost the world paid in human life. From the Fall the Decline and Failure of 21st Century Civilization by Martin Raff. It's true, Althea thought as air paraded through the city. They are people. Just like the people who walk the market streets of London every day of the week. Just like the doctors and nurses who worked the hospitals of Johannesburg and the patients who came in seeking aid. The people here were stockier, on average, with finer features. Compared to the people outside the walls, they looked more, well, like humans on Earth. It was as if the city preserved a little more of what the original settlers arrived with. The men dressed in leather-belted tunics, with heavy fur cloaks wrapped around their shoulders. The women and children wore long coats and hoods made of thick felt, with simple, colorful designs knitted into the fabric. The men who captured them outside the gates led them through the streets. Althea tried to look at their faces for any clue as to what might be in store for them, but the collar of the coat kept their faces hidden most of the time. The occasional glimpses revealed nothing but blank, stony expressions. Her arms, bound behind her back, made her feel exposed and caused every little hair on her body to stand upright. The city looked ancient, old, and forgotten, 
like the ruins of Perth, Phoenix, or Kuwait City on Earth. But whereas those cities had long been abandoned, people here lived inside the remains of the once great outpost. They made their homes in the crumbling skyscrapers and lived their lives on the cracked, decaying streets. It made Althea think of sea creatures swimming inside the remains of an old shipwreck, or rodents and small mammals scurrying around in a small ecosystem within bare, forsaken concrete walls. The people here inhabited a shell of something greater than them, something they couldn't fully understand. Everywhere Althea looked, people came out of their houses and shops to see them walk by. Children stopped playing their little games in the street and gawked. People came out of skyscrapers, they leaned out of windows, and stopped in their tracks to watch mystified. The road they marched down was wide enough for at least three cars on earth, but there were none here. Most people on the street were on foot, although a few rode push scooters, and a few children played with wooden bicycles or tricycles. Men and women pulled carts stacked high with food, cloth, or other goods, but there were no pack animals to be seen. As they walked, there was an eerie silence all around them. Nobody cheered, or hissed, or anything. They didn't seem afraid, but just watched with curious eyes as the men led the shackled team through the streets. There were screens just about everywhere Althea looked, attached to light poles, the sides of buildings, even a few in the dark recesses of the old buildings. They were all dark and silent, relics of a long-forgotten past. Isra looked as if she was taking in the sights of the city with a certain air of polite interest, as if she might be on a diplomatic tour if it wasn't for the ropes binding her hands. Vago, well, he was so out of his mind, he probably didn't know where he was. Even Kronos didn't look particularly worried, but that was because his mind had taken him far past fear into paralyzing horror. He looked down as he walked, as if acknowledging the world around him would make it real. Every once in a while, one of their soldiers would prod him with their baton to make him hurry. The men led them to a building near the center of town. Althea imagined that, at one time, it was the tallest building in the city, with two towers ascending into the thick, misty, Titanian air. Now, one of them was nothing more than a pile of twisted metal and concrete. The other was mostly standing, although it looked like a good stiff breeze could finish the job someday. The men led them up a steep set of stairs, into a building that connected the two towers on the ground floor. It was a much smaller, squat structure that could have served as a lobby for whatever was happening in the towers. At the top of the stairs, the men said a few words to each other and opened a set of wooden doors. They weren't original. Sliding glass doors would have fit the building much better, but those were likely destroyed and replaced long ago. Still, someone went to the trouble of carving small, elegant symbols into them, even though none of the team gave the slightest hint of resisting, the men in the brown coats grabbed them roughly, one by one, and shoved them inside. It felt like a completely different world in there. The city outside was drab, gray, and crumbling, as if all the color had faded over the years with the city. But in here, every surface was adorned with color. They walked through a wide hall on rich red carpeting. Paintings and sculptures decorated every available space along the walls. And there were lights, real electric lights. They looked poorly made and cast a sickly orange glow over the hall, but it was electricity. Somehow its presence made the place feel less alien. Isra looked impressed, even if she didn't say anything. Here in this palace, 
Althea felt they had crossed into another social caste. Unlike the women outside, the hooded cloaks the women wore here were covered from the collar to the floor in vibrant colors and intricate designs. As they walked through the building, Althea saw some of the women wearing something closer to dresses in bright reds and yellows. A few wore jewelry in the form of gold and silver necklaces, rings, and brooches, although it looked restricted to a select group. The people formed small clusters of five or less and were deep in conversation until the men led Althea and the rest of the team passed them, at which point they would stop and watch them go by with an air of smug amusement. Althea's sick, twisting feeling of foreboding grew. More soldiers opened a set of double doors for the group. One of their captors shoved Althea through the doorway so hard that she lost her balance and fell face first into the rich, soft carpeting. As she got to her feet, her eyes met Cronus's eyes for a moment, and Althea saw a fear that had lapsed into sadness. The idea of the condemned being marched to their execution popped again to Althea's mind. There was music when they first entered. A strange kind of metallic lilting, like from a harpsichord or a hurdy-gurdy. But there were also conversations between the fifty or so people clustered in the chamber, both of which ceased when they got a look at what had just been shoved through the door. The room was immense and extravagantly decorated. Descriptions in Althea's mind shot way past lavish and planted firmly on gaudy. The walls were angled so that her eyes were naturally drawn, to the large curved indent in the wall opposite the doors. There was a man on a throne, but he didn't look like he was sitting as much as he had been set and encased in gold like a diamond in a ring. The decorations around him were intricately designed to the point that it would take years to note them all. On a cursory glance, Althea could see that Saturn was a motif along with other celestial symbols. The most striking thing sat just above the man's head the same Transplanetary Energy Corporation logo they saw on the kiosk at the spaceport. She identified the man sitting on the throne immediately as the same face that warned them to leave back at the spaceport. If the people here equated power with how tall a person's hat was and how many pointy claw-like things were sticking out of it, then this person was bordering on a god. It looked like someone poked a dozen or more boar tusks through an incredibly long beehive and set it on the man's head. The men in the long brown coats fell to their hands and knees to kowtow before the man in the ridiculous hat. They held that position for a few moments, then lifted their heads to speak. Althea leaned over to Isra. Is anything they are saying making any sense? Isra cocked her head. Yes and no. There are a lot of words with Latin and Germanic roots. I think they referred to us as the people who fell from the sky. The men in the long brown coats stepped back to stand close to their prisoners. The ruler looked over those assembled in front of him for a moment, as if assigning a grade to each individual. Then he spoke. You speak the ancient language. His English was slow and deliberate, as if translating on the fly, but even this level of fluency shocked Isra. Finally, she stepped forward. Yes, we do. My name is Isra Jacario. This is Althea Fallon, Vago Spade, and Kronos. We have come from Earth. The man nodded. I am the Houston of the Herbo Legaya. You are lucky with the Companillo, the Perfendulo, the people who exist outside the walls. 
They would kill you and eat your flesh if they see you. What is your business here? Isra stood up straight as she could with her arms bound. It is good to meet you, Houston. You and your people. We have come to learn from you, to learn of your ways and culture, to find out how your society has developed in the many years since our people were one. We have also come to protect you. Something is happening that will be hard for you to understand. There are those who would take your land from you. They are here, on this planet. The Houston chuckled slightly and spoke to the assembled crowd in their own language. Whatever he said caused a wave of self-satisfied snickers throughout the crowd. The Houston held his hand out toward the members of the Human Reconnection Project assembled in front of him. You speak the language of the Companio. You arrive on boats of fire like the Companio. But you are not from Earth. Isra paused. I am sure this must seem incredible. I cannot imagine what it must feel like to find people who claim to be from another planet. But you must believe. If you were from Earth, the Companio would tell me. The Companio still talks to me. They did not speak of you. Companio, said Isra, rolling the word over her tongue. I do not understand. What is Companio? Isra maintained a fixed, neutral expression. If she was worried at all, it didn't reflect in her demeanor or voice. Althea was a different story, however. Something dangerous was happening. She could see it in her quick glances around the room, in the eyes of the nobles watching. Something in their eyes condemned them. She shivered, as if a chill filled the room. Of course you do not understand, the Houston answered. You know nothing of Companillo. You are Pufindulo. I see that now. You may have come from the stars, but you have not come to save us. You have come to destroy us again. The word Perfindulo caused some frantic and hushed discussions among the nobles gathered around. They understood that word, and it carried some hefty baggage, judging from the reaction. Even Isra started shifting uncomfortably at the sudden commotion around her. Forgive me, Houston. I am confused. Companio... Perfindulo, I do not know what any of these words mean. Believe me that we did come from Earth. I would talk with you more about us, if you would let me. The Houston grinned and said something to the rest of the crowd. He waved his right hand in a graceful flourish as he spoke, as if trying to emphasize some grand point. When he stopped speaking, everyone in the room gave the ruler a kind of muted laugh. Not a full-belly laugh that comes when someone says something actually funny, more the kind of half-hearted laugh that happens when someone in power says something that was supposed to be taken as funny. The Houston raised his hand, and the laughter, such as it was, died down. If you are from Earth, if you are Companillo, then answer this question for me. When is the next departure for Earth? When will the ships come to carry our people back home? Isra sighed. There is no such mission as of now. Your people, this city, it has been forgotten by the people of Earth. Something terrible happened many years ago. It is what caused the ships to stop coming to Titan. You are remembering a long-forgotten past, but let us talk with you. We will listen, and maybe we can discuss a transportation mission in time. The Houston sat back. You are not company, you are not from Earth. The Companillo would never forget its people. Earth is a paradise of perfection. 
nothing bad could happen there. Ilin for a poti, a la marabarajon. You will be punished for your lies, Perfendulo. Before Isra or Althea could say another word, the men with the batons and the long brown coats grabbed them by their bound wrists and started hauling them back towards the door. Isra struggled briefly against the men. Houston, you must believe us. Something terrible is coming to Titan. Your people are not safe. You need... Her words were cut short when one of the men hit her in the stomach with a baton. She crumpled to her knees before one of the men hauled her back to her feet. No one resisted after that, but let the men lead them away. The music started up again, as did the chatter of the nobles, as the doors clicked closed behind them. This wasn't the first time Vega woke in some dark, stinking pit. In fact, laying on a hard concrete floor, with the smell of urine wafting in the air was vaguely familiar. He could just as well be lying in a gutter behind some Rio club. He might have been just coming to in his shitty apartment, having failed to make it to bed. Then the memory of Titan flashed across his mind, and he sat bolt upright. Oh good, you're awake, said Althea. Vago squinted in the dark. At first he couldn't make out much of anything. As his eyes adjusted, however, he saw Althea curled up in a little ball in the corner. He took in the rest of his surroundings, such as they were. It was a jail, no doubt about that. The walls and floor were made of damp concrete, and a barred door with a lock separated them from the outside world. He'd been in enough of them to recognize the telltale signs. Kronos and Isra were there as well. The group leader was laying on her side near the opposite wall, while Kronos lie curled in a fetal position near the far corner, wheezing through his breath mask. Both seemed to be asleep. At that point, he realized his mind was clear. No haze, no disconnect, no sign of Triple T withdrawal at all. Either he had been here so long that he'd completely recovered from the addiction, or... You lied to me, Vigo. Or the jig was up, and Althea finally figured out what he had been doing up to this point. Vigo checked his pockets and found them all empty. He wasn't surprised, but that didn't stop him from swearing under his breath. How'd you find out? Besides checking your pockets, depersonalization disorder has a few causes, and all of them tied to endorphins. While hibernation can muddy up brain chemistry, it doesn't last as long or hit as hard as your levels indicated. Short of a chronic problem, there is only one factor that can destroy endorphin production as completely. Trihydroxide thiosulfide tetraoxide. What the hell is the matter with you, Vago? Althea, I can explain. You can explain, can you? Well, this ought to be jolly good fun. Go ahead, then. Explain. I can't wait to hear why you are charging all over Titan, hopped up on the worst bloody drug created by humankind. Ooh, and I can't wait for the part where you talk about how you put everyone on this mission in mortal danger while you detox. This'll be fantastic. Vago leaned his head back until it bumped against the wall. I could have managed it, okay? I had plenty to get me through this whole mission. But you had to go and shoot me up with some ugly thing. And I knew if you saw me, you'd throw a fit. Thank you, by the way, for proving me right. Althea spread herself out and glared at him. Don't you dare blame this on me. You're the bloody junkie. You're the one who smuggled that awful stuff here to begin with. You did all of this. Don't you dare try to put it on me. I did what I had to do, Althea. 
Like you said, I'm an addict. I don't do what I do because it's smart. I do it because I ain't in control. The triple T is, and you saw what happens if I don't do what it says. You of all people should know what it's like. You've got your own demons. Althea paused and looked down at the floor. For a moment, he felt a twinge of guilt that he had gone too far. But screw her, she brought it up. Althea took a deep breath. It's different and you know it. Really? How's that? I stopped. Yeah. Only after you lost your career, your family, and your entire life. The only reason you ain't in some detention pit now is because the Ministry struck a deal with the Corporation so you could slum it around the solar system and hand out bandages. You lost everything, and that's sad. But don't go and act like you're so much better than me. Vago clenched his teeth. Okay, that was over the line. Even before Althea responded, he felt a wave of remorse. Althea shook her head. You're a real bastard, Vago. Vago rubbed his right temple. Listen, I'm sorry. That was uncalled for, but... Althea turned her body away from him. I think I am quite done talking with you for tonight. Fine. Just answer me this. What happens between us? said Vega. Us? asked Althea with a certain icy tone. There is no us. Not anymore. It's not what I meant. I mean, what do you want to do? What happens next? Althea reached into her coat pocket, pulled the little capsules out, and looked at them for a moment. When we get out of here... If we get out of here, you have to leave. You need to go back to the base camp and tell them about your condition. Declare yourself unfit for service and wait for the ship to go back to Earth. Come on, Althea. You saw the scene outside the spaceport. That didn't happen years, months, or even days ago. It happened a few hours before you arrived. There's something bad happening here. You can't do this without me. Althea looked at him. Well... We bloody well can't do it with you now, can we? Vago stood up. You're right. I screwed up. I screwed up something terrible. And when I get back to Earth, I'm done. I'll check myself into some triple T program. I'll fight through the haze and the disconnect till I come out the other side. I'll never touch the stuff again. But right now, just let me get through this. Althea saw him on his feet and recoiled. What exactly are you suggesting? I give you your drugs back. You want me to look the other way while you continue to dose yourself? See, when you say it like that, it sounds wrong. I'm asking you to let me continue to do the job I came here to do. While blazing on Triple T? Vago shushed her and looked back at Kronos and Isra. They were both still asleep. Say that a little louder, why don't you? Althea cupped her hands around the pills and held them away from Vago. It doesn't matter. It's going to be out soon enough because you're not getting your drugs back. So you can either admit what you did... Go back to the base camp and get some help. But you can keep it a secret until the haze hits again. At that point, I'll tell Isra that you've caught something incurable and suggest a medical evacuation. Or you can wander off and just die. I don't particularly care which. Vago stopped. He'd never heard Althea talk like this. It was like the friendly family dog rearing back and biting his hand when he went to pet it. You. You don't mean that. Althea replaced the capsules in her pocket. Yes, Vago. I do. We're not just talking about what happens if you lose your fix or don't get a regular dose. What about an overdose? Do you have any idea what somebody with too much Triple T is capable of? Of course he was. He'd seen and heard all the stories about Triple T rage. It made all the newswires almost every day. So had Althea. Because I do. 
I see the women and children caught in the wrong place with the wrong person during an overdose. They come into trauma centers raped or beaten nearly to death. I will not put myself or Easter in that position. Not now, not ever. Vago sat down next to Althea. She was right. Well, she wasn't. Vago could manage himself fine. But she had the high ground, and it was a tough argument to win. She was a doctor, after all. She would have seen the worst of Triple T. She's seen the worst. So she'll be able to treat it, thought Vago. Okay, you're right. I'm an addict, and I can't be trusted. But I trust you. Althea shrank into the corner. What do you mean, you trust me? I mean, you can keep up on how much I've been taken. You can watch my withdrawal levels and my tolerance. You keep all the shards. Give me, say, three a day. Don't let me near the rest of them. That should be enough to keep me sharp, but not enough to overdose. Althea's mouth gaped open. Are you insane? Do you want me to give you drugs? Vago shrugged. That's your job, right? You give people medicine. Make sure they get the correct dosage. They get better. Triple T isn't medicine. It's the most destructive drug ever created, and I will have no part in making sure you kill yourself on it. It is medicine. For me, right now, it's medicine. I need the stuff to function. Why on earth would I ever consider that? Vago nearly shouted, Because you need me! He winced, and when he was sure Easter and Kronos were still sleeping, he continued, Think about that slaughter outside the spaceport. Think about those people who went and raided our supplies. Jesus, Althea, look at where we are now. It ain't a matter of if there's going to be a fight, but when and how bad. Now, you know medicine better than anyone I know. Easter could talk a preacher into heresy and convince him it was his idea. Kronos? Well, I'm pretty sure he's good to something. Me? I know how to fight. I can lead people into a fight. If I'm not here, Titan will burn and take you, Easter, and Kronos with it. Althea slid her hand back in her pocket. This is madness, Vago. You are asking me to keep you dosed on a highly legal drug and keep quiet about it. You already did once. I did so we could talk. And I guess part of me thought if I snapped you out of it, you could figure a way out of here. She cupped her face in her hands. You will get one a day. No more, no less. One a day? That's barely enough to... Are you seriously going to argue with me about the dosage right now? Because I think it's bonkers to be considering this in the first place. But you're right. We're in a bad situation and we need you functional. I'll need more than one a day to be functional. Well, that's all you're getting. So I suggest you adjust your tolerance. That's my offer. Take it or go back to base camp. Bago sighed. Fine. But if the haze gets real bad, we talk, right? You'll get what I prescribe, and that is all. And you're going to rehab when we get to Earth. It was a terrible deal. But it was as good as he was going to get. He nodded. Fine. Good. Then we have a deal. Great. Uh, what do we do now? Althea stretched up to lay prone on the floor. We're in prison, Vago. We wait. You have been listening to The Ruins of Empire, Saturnius Mons, the first book of The Ruins of Empire Project. The Ruins of Empire podcast was written by Jeremy L. Jones and produced by Sean Vincent. Cover art was by Nick Martin. Music was Broken Reality by Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons 3.0 license.